The Tampa Bay Buccaneers go from their most complete game of the year to their biggest implosion. That and more on today's episode of Locked on Bucks. You are Locked on Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome into this live post-game reaction episode of Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We want to thank you for making Locked On Bucks your first listener view every single day. Don't forget you can subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow along on Twitter. I am James Yarko at JRCO underscore Bucks, deputy editor of SB Nation's BucksNation.com here with you every Monday through Friday, along with our everydayers. And as always, want to share our appreciation for your continued support of the show. Right now, you can join the Locked On Bucks insiders where you are going to get direct text messages from me to you, giving you the latest news, all the Bucks information, plus one-on-one -on -one conversations. You can do so at joinsubtext.com slash locked on Bucks. This episode is brought to you by Price Picks, the easiest, most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NFL. Use code locked on NFL all lowercase for a first deposit match up to one hundred have our biggest takeaways from this game and what is the difference between this week and the Bucks four game winning streak diving into all of that coming up a little bit later but we are going to start as we always do with the biggest moment of the game and for me I think this one's pretty obvious you guys may have a differing opinion but my biggest moment was Baker Mayfield's first interception of the game at the time of that interception the Buccaneers are trailing seven to nothing. They got two first downs on that drive thanks to Saints penalties. And on second and seven, Baker fakes the toss, rolls out left, and he has Trey Palmer open down the field. Palmer had beaten his guy by a step or two. And instead, Baker throws off of his back foot, leaves the pass short, and it is intercepted by Taylor. That killed a promising drive where the Bucks were in Saints territory. Could have at least probably come away with three, possibly even a, a, a tie football game. And instead, that interception changed the landscape of the game completely. So as a result, or I guess maybe not as a result, but kind of a domino effect after that interception, the Buccaneers didn't get another first down until four possessions later when they were down 17 to nothing. And even then, on that drive, Rashad White fumbles inside the Saints 30. So another Bucks drive that looked promising ends in a turnover. Some other key moments, of course, that Rashad White fumble was a big one. It did happen inside the 30-yard line. So it was a minimum six-point swing because after the Saints recovered the fumble, they went on to kick a field goal. You figure at that point, the Buccaneers would have at least had a field goal. Instead, it's a, a six-point swing, and uh, the Saints increased their lead. Another big moment was Baker's second interception. Yeah, the pass was tipped, but it was a bad pass to begin with. It was behind the receiver. 
fell straight into the arms of Abram. Then even when it seemed like things were out of reach, the Bucks somehow found a way to start to crawl their way back in. And Trey Palmer gets hit on a 54-yard pass where he's untouched, trips over his own feet, hits the ground. The ball comes out. It's recovered by the Saints. Um, you know, the Bucks in that situation, they needed a really quick score. And a 54-yard pass would have set that up. The Bucks would have been in the red zone or close to the red zone when Palmer fumbled, and instead the Saints get yet another possession and just absolutely no pressure on Derek Carr all day. The defense looked as flat as the offense for the majority of the day, and they had no answer for Jawan Johnson. They didn't get beat by Alvin Kamara. They didn't get beat by Chris Olave. They didn't get beat by Rashid Shahid. They didn't even really get beat by Taysom Hill. They got beat by Jawan Johnson, who finished with a career high in receptions and receiving yards. He had more receiving yards at halftime than the Bucs had total yards at halftime. Absolutely abysmal performance by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in all three facets. I do want to jump into the chat for a little bit. Demon Hunter came in strong. Uh, over 15 minutes before the show even started, Demon Hunter jumps in and said, we fired the cannons right in our own faces. Yes, uh, that won my favorite comment of the episode, and we're barely six minutes in. Did have a Locked on Saints follower and listener jump into the chat before the show. Dylan Blaze said, I'm just here because Mr. Ross Jackson said to remind you to wear a number seven Taysom Hill jersey. Now, it's not a jersey. We agreed on t-shirts. Uh, I'm not spending $100 on a Taysom Hill jersey. It's not happening. Um, I will, however, have to pony up the dough and buy a Taysom Hill t-shirt to wear for the divisional crossover because a bet is a bet. I'm a man of my word. and um, yeah, that really, really stinks. Granted, my mother-in-law is a Saints fan, so I'll wear the shirt for the divisional crossover, and then I'll give it to her, and she'll be super excited. But I am in in the works. My, my brain is moving a little bit. I'm cooking up something else for Ross Jackson for next year. Uh, I, I will say right now, Locked on Bucks will have its revenge for the atrocity of forcing me to wear a Diet Tebow t-shirt um, Lawrence in the chat said this was bad play calling on the offense coordinator. It was. It was bad play calling by Dave Canales. It was a bad game plan for both Dave Canales and Todd Bowles on the defensive side of the ball. Everyone is to blame in this one. Absolutely everyone. I, I see Sal in the chat. Uh, he said a four-year deal you know, in reference to Baker Mayfield. Um but then he uses a, a bad word, so I can't put it up on the screen. But look, the Bucs had more problems on Sunday than just Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield didn't play well at all, but neither did anyone else. It was, as, as I said on Twitter, it was the post-bye week Buccaneers that we saw on Sunday against the New Orleans Saints. That's that's what it was. It was that four-game losing streak post-bye week Tampa Bay Buccaneers that we saw that couldn't get anything to go right. You, they, they couldn't pass. They couldn't run. They couldn't block. They couldn't tackle. They couldn't cover. And they kept shooting themselves in the foot with penalties all 
over the place. So absolutely nobody is safe from criticism in this one. Jay Jones in the chat saying the Saints did nothing special today. We flat out beat ourselves, couldn't move the ball on offense, defense couldn't make any consistent stops. That's 100% correct. It was a case of the Bucks beating the Bucks. I had a buddy of mine in a group chat jump in and say, "Wow, the Saints really are the Bucks kryptonite." And I responded, "The Bucks have beat the Saints three consecutive times. The Bucks were the Bucks kryptonite on Sunday. The Saints weren't doing anything crazy or exceptional or extraordinary." except for the fact that they came in and they punched Tampa Bay right in the mouth. The Saints looked like a team that had their season on the line. The Bucks looked like a team that thought that their season fate had already been sealed. Um, we got uh, Brent in the chat saying, please, you can't play bad for three and a half quarters and then say he played good enough to win. Uh, not really sure. I'm assuming you're talking about Baker Mayfield there. Yeah, I mean, the Bucs came on strong in the fourth quarter and still managed to continue to shoot themselves in the foot. Again, nobody is safe from criticism in this one. And we are going to talk about my biggest takeaways from this game coming up next on Locked on Bucks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Price Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. They are the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. So instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you just pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Price Picks is really simple to play and I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. I hit on mine this week, taking Baker Mayfield for more than 200 35 and a half passing yards. Chris Godwin more than 61 and a half receiving yards and Mike Evans more than 68 and a half receiving yards, even though the Bucks lost. But the winning still rolled in and made it feel just a little bit better. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code locked on NFL all lowercase for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code locked on NFL all lowercase for a first deposit match up to $100. Price picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Thank you again for making Locked On Bucks your first listener view every single day. Everydayers, Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. My takeaways from this one, I got a couple of them. Um, takeaway number one, Murphy's Law. And for those of you that don't know what Murphy's Law is, it, it simply states that everything that can go wrong will. And for the Bucs, everything that could go wrong on Sunday did. The Buccaneers had more first downs in the first half from penalties than they had from actual production. And they had two three and outs over the last two weeks, and they had four in their first five possessions on Sunday. The only possession that wasn't a three and out 
was an interception by Baker Mayfield where he underthrew an open Trey Palmer on what should have been a touchdown catch. The defense on Sunday was Swiss cheese. They had no answer for Jawan Johnson, no pressure on Derek Carr. They did tighten up a little bit in the second half, but it was too little, too late, especially with as bad as the offense was playing. The Saints finished 8 of 18 on third down, and even that doesn't really tell the story of exactly how good they were on third down. They had a couple of three and outs late. Um, they, they ended up kind of playing really conservatively down the stretch to protect that lead, even though they were up by 16. Uh, the, the play calling went back to kind of that early season Dave Canales that we saw. There was no creativity. They weren't scheming guys open the way they had over the course of this, this four-game winning streak that they were riding. And the targets for Chris Godwin, non-existent until the fourth quarter. What has been the recipe for success for the Bucks during this winning streak? It's been getting the ball to Chris Godwin. He made some clutch receptions. He made a big one on fourth down, had that touchdown and a two-point conversion that somehow a non-reviewable play ended up reviewable because on the field, there was no call for him going out of bounds, and yet somehow they ended up reversing the two-point conversion a anyway. It's neither here nor there. It was still too little, too late. It's a lot to ask for a team to play like complete garbage all game long and then expect them to turn it on in the fourth quarter, recover an onside kick, which just doesn't happen in today's NFL, and somehow pull this win or, or pull a tie off. Um, they did finally get the offense going in the third quarter with the run game. But then Rashad White fumbles, and that kind of goes out the window. And the Bucs heading into this game were at the top of the league in turnover differential and then minus four against the Saints on Sunday. You're not going to beat any team in the NFL, let alone a division rival in a must win for them if you turn the ball over four times. My uh, my second takeaway, and I did see somebody mention it in the chat. I, I can't scroll all the way through and find it again. But my second takeaway is Jake Camarda. And this is pure speculation on my part, but I think Camarda is hurt. It was his worst performance ever, and it, it kind of falls into the Murphy's Law, right? Anything that can go wrong does. Absolutely nothing went right for the Buccaneers, including a guy who's been the best in the league as a punter over the course of the last two seasons. But he was shanking punts. He was leaving all of his kickoffs short, which is not exactly great strategy when Rashid Shahid, one of the fastest players in the NFL, is the one back there returning kicks and returning punts. It can turn into big swings in field position. And I haven't done a deep dive into the numbers, but I'm willing to bet that that was Camarda's lowest punt average for a game ever. Uh, with a minimum of two punts. I'll go ahead and throw that out there. He only averaged 41.4 yards per punt, and they were just, it was not good. It was ugly play by Jake Marta. So to me, something isn't right there, and it's definitely something I'm going to be keeping an eye on moving forward into the final week of the season. But then my third takeaway, you get a mulligan. Don't screw this up. Okay, so for as bad as the Buccaneers played, and they played terrible, this this goes up there as arguably their worst game of the season. I've said that a couple of different times on this show, but this one, given the circumstances, given the situation, given the opponent, there was no excuse 
for this team to fail in all three phases of the football the way that they did. But they still control their own destiny. We knew coming in that they only had to win one of their two remaining games to win the division. You would have liked to have seen it come against the New Orleans Saints at home, but the Bucs can still get to the playoffs. They can still win the NFC South by beating the Carolina Panthers in Week 18. The Panthers, who lost 26 to nothing to a Trevor Lawrence-less Jacksonville Jaguars team, and then their owner got so upset that apparently he threw a drink on a Jaguars fan. I saw that right before we went live here, so that's fun. But the Buccaneers have to win to get in. There is not a scenario that I was able to find using the playoff um, you know, predictor, the, the, the playoff uh, projection software of selecting different teams to win and lose and all that. There's not a scenario that I found that the Buccaneers can lose to Carolina and still get into the playoffs. It doesn't exist. So the Buccaneers have to win in order to get in. That should wake them up and give them an actual sense of urgency. They came into this game against the Saints and they played like a team that was reading their own press clippings, that was feeling themselves off of this win streak. And that's exactly what I told Ross Jackson on the crossover episode that I was concerned about heading into this game, that this team was going to get a little too cocky and a little too confident coming off of those four wins, especially after the way they dominated Jacksonville. You can't just expect to win by showing up especially against a division opponent and a a division rival, you have to go out there and earn it. So as of right now, the Buccaneers still hold a 57% chance to make the playoffs, which is basically saying they're favored to beat the Panthers in week 18. But if they come out flat like they did against the Saints, if they come out on offense and can't put together drives, if they come out on defense and can't stop a nosebleed, if Jake Camarda is shanking punts off the side of his foot and giving the Panthers favorable field position after the offense doesn't move the sticks, they're going to be sent packing and missing the postseason, and that opens up an entirely new conversation. Well, a new but old conversation about the state of this team heading in to the offseason. I'm going to jump into the chat again real fast. Brent in the chat says the coaching was bad. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. You can't point to anything that that coaching staff did and think, you know what? That was the right decision because the coaching was absolutely hideous. Um, We got Gary in the chat. He's agreeing with me saying that something has to be wrong with Jake. I think so. Uh, it, it He wasn't himself. That's the only way you can really put it. He was not himself at all throughout that throughout that game. Gary also jumps in and says, if we don't beat Carolina, we don't need to be in the playoffs. Agreed, 100%. If you can't beat the worst team in the NFL in a game that will decide who wins the NFC South, you don't deserve to be there. So, you know, there's... We got, we got Mike in the chat. It's absolutely the worst game they've played. Yep, no doubt. No doubt. Again, given the circumstances, given the situation, you could not ask for a worse performance out of this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. And um, we got Brent in the chat. We have to draft a quarterback this year in the first or second round. We'll see. You know, uh, something else that I heard um, leading up to 
to this weekend of, of NFL football. The success rate of first-round quarterbacks being hits, being legitimate starters in the NFL, less than 50%. And that's the highest percent of any round that you can draft a quarterback in. So you're looking at odds that are lower than a coin flip. If the Bucs make the playoffs, hitting on that coin flip at worst, at like pick 19, pick 20, um, a bird in the hand's worth two in the bush. You know, that's, but plenty of time to have that conversation. Coming up next, I am going to talk about what changed between the Bucks' four-game win streak and what we saw on Sunday. That's next here on Locked on Bucks. Score this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. The Buccaneers are going to be favorites against the Carolina Panthers in a Week 18 matchup that will decide the NFC South champion. And if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, then there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use and there's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and score this NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Wrapping things up here on a live post-game reaction episode of Locked on Bucks. And uh, yeah, obviously no game balls being handed out for this one because number one, the Bucks lost. Number two, nobody deserves it. Even a loss. Like there wasn't anybody that stood out and was like, that dude had a great game. No, no, just absolutely not. Uh, did have someone in the chat. We got Kathy in the chat. Uh, she said, I was at the game and the Jumbotron showed Camarda during the anthem and he looked really flubbed up in the face, coupled with his play. Something is up again, something to keep an eye on, um, you know, heading into this week, getting prepared for the Carolina Panthers. Um, we had uh, we had Brent in the chat saying if they draft a quarterback next year, he will have receivers to throw to maybe. He'll have Chris Godwin. We know that for sure. Don't know if Mike Evans is going to be here or not. The Bucs have the opportunity to franchise tag him, but if they don't make the playoffs and they blow this whole thing up, Mike Evans, I don't think he's going to want to stick around for a rebuild, especially when I have the Bengals and Chiefs game on right now. And uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling can't hold on to a football. The Chiefs have forty over 40 drop passes as a team this year. Uh, 26 of those last I saw were by wide receivers. You think they won't back a Brinks truck up for Mike Evans and he can go to a team and contend for a Super Bowl next season? A lot can happen between now and then, but a lot apparently happened between last Sunday and this Sunday. So let's talk about the difference between the hottest team in the league coming into week 17 and then the atrocity that we witnessed against the New Orleans Saints. So, over the last four weeks, Baker Mayfield was sacked nine times, 2.25 times per game, and he was sacked twice on Sunday. So that's about the norm. Nothing really big changed right there. The Buccaneers, as a, or I'm sorry, Baker Mayfield 
had two total turnovers uh, over the course of the last four weeks. He had two on Sunday, three if you include the interception that he threw on the two-point conversion retry that never should have happened um, because, again, Godwin got the two-point conversion. The the game should have been uh, 23 to 15 at that point. But, you know, that was, again, Baker Mayfield was protecting the football against the Saints. He didn't. Plain and simple. Now you take a look at the rushing attack over the course of the last four weeks. They averaged 111.25 yards per game as a team running the football. Against the Saints on Sunday, 57 rushing yards. The leaders in targets over the last four weeks. We're going to start from four weeks ago and work our way back to the Jaguars game last week. Mike Evans with 12. Chris Godwin with 11. Chris Godwin with 12. Mike Evans with 9. Sunday, the player that led the team in targets <clears throat> was actually two players that tied Chase Edmonds and Cade Otten, tied with six. Evans and Godwin combined for nine targets. You want to talk about the difference between the team that was tied with the Baltimore Ravens for the most points per game over the last three weeks you know, for the lead in the NFL versus the team that only put up 13 points and didn't touch the end zone until the fourth quarter. That's the difference right there. Why are Chase Edmonds and Kate Otten your leading target getters while Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are combining for fewer than double-digit targets between the two of them? Defensively, seven takeaways over the last four weeks. On Sunday, zero. Goose egg. None. They had the second most yards allowed over the last five weeks in this game. The Falcons had 434 in that game where Kate Otten had the game-winning touchdown. Other than that, the Saints you know, put up by far the most yards of any team over the course of the last five weeks. And over the last four games, the Buccaneers defense has gotten four sacks, three sacks, two sacks, and four sacks. Sunday against the Saints, goose egg, none, nada. Now, you take a look at the box score. The Bucs were awarded a sack, but it was when Derek Carr ran out of bounds before throwing the ball away. So that doesn't count in my book at all. There wasn't a single Buccaneers player that got his arms around Derek Carr and took him to the ground. There were no sacks. Derek Carr just ran out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage. That's what that boiled down to. So it was absolute failure in all three phases of the game by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The stark differences between how this team complemented each other on either side of the football during that win streak is exactly what didn't happen against the New Orleans Saints. Plain and simple, the Saints cared more. They wanted it more, they needed it more, and the Buccaneers were outplayed, out-schemed, out-coached, out-prepped, out-everything. It was a disgusting, pathetic excuse for a football game from a team that could have clinched the division for the third consecutive season and made the playoffs for the fourth straight year for the first time since they did it from 1992 to or 1999 to 2002. They walked in thinking that they had already won the game. And the Saints walked in demanding victory. 
For as much as I talked about how the Bucks team that we saw against the Jacksonville Jaguars could beat anyone in the NFC in the playoffs, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Niners, that team could have taken on anyone and beat them out of the building. The team that we saw against the Saints couldn't have beat the Florida State team that lost by over 60 points to Georgia this weekend. That's how bad this football team played. That's how poorly they were prepared. That's how poorly they were coached. They didn't do anything right. Literally nothing. It's on Baker Mayfield. It's on the offensive line. It's on Todd Bowles. It's on the defensive coordinators and defensive game plan. It's on the front four that got no pressure on Derek Carr and let him sit back in the pocket all day long and pick them apart with, again, Jawan Johnson. Everyone in that locker room and in that facility has to own this loss. Everyone. They can't sit there and point fingers at, oh, well, Baker messed up on this play or Rashad White fumbled on this play or Levante David let Jawan Johnson make that catch for a first down. They want to point the fingers at anyone. You start by doing this because every single player on that team screwed up and it cost them. Antoine Winfield Jr., nowhere to be found. Kalijah Kansi, Yaya Diaby. Vita Vea, nowhere to be found. Devin White, where was the Devin White that played against the Jaguars? He almost had an interception, but almost only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and thermonuclear devices. Every single player, every single coach from the top down needs to have a little reflection and a little wake-up moment because if this team comes out and plays against the Carolina Panthers like this next week, they're done. They're going to lose by double digits to the lowly Carolina Panthers. And then all of a sudden, instead of talking about playoff previews and a playoff matchup, we're talking about how Todd Bowles might not have a job and the Bucs are going to go into full rebuild mode. It's kind of crazy how one game can tip the scales in two very different directions. Going to jump into the chat real quick one more time before we get out of here. We got Paul saying that the Bucs got smashed in the mouth. Losing a hard-fought game is one thing. How the Bucs played today was soft as cotton top to bottom. Yeah, I, that that pretty much sums it up. And then Paul jumps in. And he says, James speaking hard truth. I, that's what I'm here for. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I got into it with somebody on Twitter about it saying how I was whining and there was no faith and yada, yada, yada. It's not my job to have faith. It's not my job to blow smoke. It's my job to call it like I see it. And the way I see it is that the Bucks have their backs against the wall and they've had their backs against the wall once this season and they came out swinging and it sparked a four game win streak. How do they respond this time? Are they going to go out there and lay an egg against the worst team in the division, against the worst team in the National Football League? Or are they going to come out swinging, throwing haymakers to fight their way into a postseason berth that they should have had after this game? With that, I'm going to bid you all a fair adieu. Uh, if you want to join the Locked On Bucks insiders, of course, you can do so at joinsubtext.com slash Locked On Bucks. Make sure you are coming back tomorrow 
as David will have plenty to say about this game, I am sure. And of course, in the meantime, you can follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks and at JRCO underscore Bucks. Hope you all have an absolutely outstanding day, and I hope you have a wonderful and safe New Year. Happy New Year to each and every one of you. Let's hope that 2024 starts off the polar opposite of the way 2023 just ended. Hope you all have an absolutely outstanding day. Stay safe, stay healthy, fire the cannons. Thank you all so much for joining me right here on Locked On Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. <laughs> Thank you.